And now, the MI6 Sports Network proudly presents Wild Sports Talk, featuring all of the wild and crazy sports news, stories, and takes of the day. Now, with all of the wild and craziness of the sports world, here's your hosts, Callan McClurg, Isaiah Leung, and Jonathan Mathis. And with that, good evening, everybody, and welcome into yet another live edition of Wild Sports Talk, coming away a little bit uh, later in the evening tonight on this Monday, and kicking off episode number five uh, of Wild Sports Talk, where, of course, we bring you all of the wild and craziness of the sports world each and every Monday and Wednesday. As usual, folks, Calvin Curry, uh, privileged to be joined, as always, by Jonathan Mathis and Isaiah Leung and our uh, producer and engineer behind the scenes, Stephen Wang. Uh, gentlemen, as always, good to see you guys. Again, uh, coming here a little bit late, but at the same time, though, it's going to be a good show. What, uh, how's everything going tonight? It's okay. Everything's well with me, man. Uh, you're a little fashionably late, but that's okay. I, I respect that. Sometimes it happens, but hey, it's time to get wild! Woo! Hey, I love that energy, man. It's, it's going to be tough for me to, like, follow John's uh, yeah, follow John's lead. But I got to say, man, I actually kind of like doing it this time because it gave me an opportunity to watch the A's whoop the Mariners' butt, put up eight runs in the fifth inning, making the Mariners' pitchers look like high school pitchers, for goodness sakes. Twelve batters came up to the to bat. It was just so amazing. And, you know, I'm wearing my, my orange sweater because I need to rock my Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns 2-0 and oh, in the bubble God. so far, looking really solid. Uh, who knows? They, they, they have a legit shot of making the playoffs. And of course, folks, we thank you for being here. And of course, we'll shout out our man, Stephen Wong, uh, Wang, working behind the scenes tonight, of course. Uh, Stephen will probably be chiming in with the boom goes the dynamite sound effect as this program does uh, progress. As you folks may know very well, we had a very scorching hot uh, last episode of WST. But of course, folks, we'll take your questions, your comments, your concerns. And again, we'll do our best to make sure that those are read live on the air here this evening and with that gents we'll start over of course in where else with major league baseball where of course guys we had some i think some good news today with the philadelphia phillies no new positive tests came uh, coming out for the phillies they were finally able for the first time in over a week finally play a game and they were sadly being blown up by the yankees at last check of the scoreboard but of course guys uh, we'll start off though with a very interesting story that broke over the course of the weekend uh, that is with one Yoannis Cespedes of the Mets who upping left the ball club in the middle of the road trip in Atlanta, packed all of his stuff, took his ball and went home from the hotel room, uh, from his hotel, I should say, and did not even bother to show up to the Mets uh, final game of the series in Atlanta at Truist Park, where literally the Mets had to send team security or security to his hotel room, uh, to his room to make sure that nothing bad had gone wrong. But in fact, the agents, uh, the uh, security showed up. Uh, they uh, they noticed that everything was gone. The room was left spotless. Uh, John, you know, obviously, of course, Yoannis came out a bit later on and said, you know, I'm opting out. But I think there could have been a different way to have gone this route. At the same time, though, this is the New York Mets, kind of like baseball's equivalent of a dumpster fire like the Knicks. But I think, though, man, that, man, this is a very interesting story that, again, just kind of further, I think this kind of adds to some of the other bad publicity that's been going around Major League Baseball. John, your reaction to this news about Cespedes again, not even informing the team himself, but having his agent tell the team, oh, by the way, he's done for the year. Oh, when I first heard the news on Sunday, I was, I was saying to myself, what do you mean missing? Uh, how is he missing when he was in the same hotel room as them? 
on this road trip in Atlanta. And then I kind of joked about it. You, you probably saw my, you know, my uh, Facebook post, me joking about it, kind of bantering with it and all. And I thought about it again. It's like, how can this guy go missing? And then at the, and at the same time, they, they think he's safe. Um, look, players continue to make a mockery out of this organization. Uh, look, we see that over the years, this is just as bad as the, the former general manager back in the day who fired ex-manager really Randolph during a West Coast road trip at 3 a.m. In, in the morning, went to the hotel room, knocked on the door, and told him you were fired at 3 a.m. in the morning. How classless and distasteful is that? And now you have sense of this. <laughs> Who does the same thing? Like, basically just took the team's money, and you know what? I'm bailing out. Uh, at least, you know, you owe them some kind of explanation on why you did not show up to the ballpark on Sunday for a baseball game. I mean, this is this is comical, man. I mean, this is the funniest thing I've ever heard. I don't even think I ever recall a baseball player doing this. I mean, it's it's just unreal. You know, Isaiah, I think we've seen some weirder stories maybe. I think, uh, was it last season or a couple NFL seasons ago where a Buffalo Bills player retired at halftime of a game <laughs> versus the Chargers? Uh, I forget who it was, but that report had also come out. Then we have Cespedes, man, in regards to, you know, packs all of his luggage, leaves the hotel, doesn't report to Truist Park, has his agent inform the Mets GM that, hey, I'm done for the season, man. And I think it just sadly kind of in a way puts in perspective what the New York Mets right now are in Major League Baseball. Yeah, even I think a lot of people forget, though, this is a team that went to the World Series, gents, just five years ago and lost to the Royals and how quickly they fall off the face of the earth. Uh, Isaiah, I know we've probably seen some very uh, other interesting things in sports like this happen, but have have you ever recalled a story like this where a player literally doesn't show up to a game, <laughs> tells his agent to tell the team, I'm done playing, and to the point where, again, in kind of in a, you know, in a scary situation, having to send security to his hotel room to see if everything was okay? <laughs> Listen, I don't know what's going on like with the entire New York area because you got the Knicks being one of the most dysfunctional franchises in all of sports. Their owner makes stupid mistakes all the time. They make stupid hires after stupid hires after stupid hires. They, they haven't even won more than 25 games in the last four years. And then you got the Mets, another dysfunctional franchise. Like, it's just really comical with what the Mets have been doing from Brody Van Wagenen all the way down. And then you have uh, the New York Giants who they, like, they've been really laughable ever since Tom Coughlin retired, uh, hiring guys like Ben McAdoo and... Uh, guys like Pat Shermer and, you know, drafting Daniel Jones in the sixth round and causing everybody in New York literally to riot. That's how bad it was. And then the Jets, man, like, I mean, we all know how the Jets have been. Adam Gase, you know how, like, how big of a clown he is. And Sam Darnold, his regression, and the Jets have made stupid decisions. Like, I don't know what's wrong with New York. Like, New York <laughs> is supposed to be the mecca in America. And it's the, it's now the, it's the capital 
of comedy. That's what New York is. New York is basically the capital of comedy. All the teams besides the Yankees are just absolute jokes and absolutely dysfunctional. But my my take on this Yoenis Cespedes situation is I think Yoenis Cespedes should absolutely be ashamed of himself. What he did yesterday was utter classless. I'm not mad at him for opting out. I am mad at him for the way that he handled his departure. He reportedly left in the middle of the night on Saturday and didn't tell anyone and didn't report to the Braves stadium, like you said, Talon, for the Mets game against the Braves yesterday, which sent the whole team into panic mode. And then they had to send security to his hotel room to look for him. But then all of his stuff was gone. And then they only found out later on, like two, three hours, that he was opting out from his agent. He essentially went AWOL on his team. You don't do that to your team, man. They, these guys are your brothers. They've supported you and stood by you your entire time. You've been on the injureds list, which seems like it's been 10 years. And also, especially uh, during the idiotic accident that you got yourself into on your own ranch when you were apparently going wild boar hunting and the wild boar came charging at you and you tried to run away from it and you reportedly fractured your ankle trying to sidestep a wild boar. Like, I mean, how, how ridiculous is that? Yoannis Cespedes has missed the last, what, two and a half years because he a wild boar came charging at him and he tried to sidestep it and stepped into a hole and fractured his ankle. Like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. That's like uh, Andrew Bynum trying to bow and tearing his ACL. Like, that's utterly ridiculous. Like, but his teammates, they still stood by him, even though, like, they all thought it was idiotic. But I think this move, he betrayed his teammates, his coaches, and the organization and quit on them, plain and simple. I don't think he's going to play baseball again, simply because if you look at uh, what he's been up to the last two or three years, his mind just doesn't seem into uh, baseball. His, seem, his mind and heart seems to be into other stuff like wild boar hunting or, you know, horseback riding or anything else. So I really think we've seen the last of Yoenis Cespedes. Can I add to that real quick? Go for it, buddy. It was a cowardly act. And I think, you know, now he's using this pandemic as an excuse to just take the team's money and, and run. And then he did the same thing with, with his handful of injuries. He took the money and ran. And now he, he's using this as a convenient excuse to bail out on the team. You know it what? Is. I don't think at this point, I don't think he's serious about baseball. I don't no. think he's ever been serious about baseball. <laughs> it's obvious right now with all that's going on. And this, man, this guy belongs in a city like New York. Because look, it... He's a clown, okay? Yes. And everyone in that city is just is it's just a circus act that he pulled. And I mean, I, I've never seen anything quite like it. It's crazy to me. He did. Like um, like Isaiah said, he quit on his team. Plain and simple. He quit and, and now he's going on about his business. And if I'm your teammate, I don't know if I could ever trust you again or, or have the same kind of uh, you know, trust level now because you just quit on us and you said you pretty much basically gave us the middle finger and walked your way out. That's what you did. Yeah, I definitely agree that there, 
there was a better way to handle this. And I mean, kind of going through the agent is kind of like, you know, maybe it's like having a middleman to kind of, you know, talk to representatives of the organization for you like that. And definitely this does not look good. And I don't see how, if in fact, Cespedes gets released maybe in the coming week or the Mets do something to, to dump his salary or dump him in general, I don't see how he gets another chance in baseball uh, because, you know, a lot of teams are gonna look are, are going to look at this and like, well, this guy for one is unprofessional. He doesn't talk to the team if, in fact, he has something coming up, like, I'm not going to play the remainder of the season. So, I mean, cowardly, classless, unprofessional, probably the best way to put it for sure. And, again, I don't see, though, if, in fact, he does get released, I don't see how this guy has a job in Major League Baseball anytime soon. Again, maybe, and, and I will say this, though, and, again, this is probably going to be a very unpopular opinion, but when you are like Cespedes, when you come in with a lot of pressure, a lot of hype behind you when he was in Oakland, Sometimes guys crumple under the pressure. I remember that the Padres had a very young, thriving shortstop named Khalil Green out of Clemson who played for the Padres from 2002, 2003 till about 2008. And literally the guy was about, you know, he looked like he just didn't want to be around anybody. And I know he had uh, really talked about having uh, social anxiety and really was not very comfortable talking to people, uh, even when he would talk to fans or teammates and he would have major blow-ups and major temper tantrums when he would strike out or wouldn't perform very well. I mean, he had probably broke his hand three separate times and that he left baseball kind of quietly was never heard from ever again. So sometimes when you have so much promise and you can't live up to it, you feel like you're beating yourself up. And I think that probably that it just has kind of spiraled out of control, as Isaiah said, though, with the whole ranch issues, his feet problems and stuff like that, but definitely a very chaotic uh, situation for the Mets who, again, uh, now we're, of course, without you on a Cespedes now. Uh, by virtue, perhaps a very questionable exit uh, for Mr. Cespedes uh, for this season. Uh, with that, Isaiah, we'll start with you on the next topic here. That is one Shohei Otani, who again did not uh, was not able to really live up to the pitching expectations again yesterday. But further, though, uh, some news from the Angels though came down today. Otani though was in fact diagnosed with some more arm trouble again, literally like a side effect of coming back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, I kind of just skimmed through it, really didn't, the whole, uh, didn't read the whole thing. But Isaiah, two weeks in a row, though, man, we have seen Shohei Otani not, him, not himself on the mound. And again, I know that John talked about mechanics. I think it's more of a mechanic slash a confidence or it's all in between the ears right now for Otani. Uh, Isaiah, what do you make about this? You know, an, another very, you know, probably disappointing week for Otani and even for the Angels uh, for matters. They lost the game in, in, uh, in 11 innings last night to Houston. Uh, Isaiah, what do we make about uh, Shohei Otani on the mound, at least, two starts in a row? Listen, as a huge Shohei Otani fan, this is going to kill me to say it, but I think Shohei Otani's pitching career is over. I really do. Because, this, listen, yesterday, um, he, he started out really, really good in terms of stuff. Like, I was watching that game, and I was looking for how – how uh, how hard did he throw his fastball? Did he did he have any movement on his off-speed pitches? And he started out really good. You know, he was throwing his fastball at 97. Um, he was his uh, off-speed stuff had really good movement to it, so he was doing really good. But I think when he, like in the la later innings, when he finished up, his fastball. Uh, was barely reaching 90 miles an hour. Uh, they were at 87, 88, 89. That was like his final three fastballs were at 87, 88, 89. And that's, that's just really alarming. And, you know, it's, it's like two weeks in a row now he hasn't thrown, um, hasn't thrown his normal 
fast, like normal speed on his fastball. So that's really alarming. And then, and then after the game, the Angels uh, sent him to go get an MRI on his elbow because he felt some, uh, yeah, some soreness on it. And he came back with a flexor strain. And that's not good either because normally flexor strains, they lead to Tommy John surgery. So I honestly think this is the worst scenario possible for Otani. And it, it just seems like he doesn't have the stuff anymore. He might have to undergo Tommy John surgery again, depending on the rehab. So I, I think his pitching career is over. I think he should just move uh, to a full-time DH or just move to an outfield. Because when you were in, like, he was a pretty good outfielder in Japan when he played. So I think outfield would suit him well. Or maybe you can even uh, move him to first base and have Albert Pujols, the uh, aging guy, go to uh, be the DH. So like, you don't really put that much pressure on his body. Even breaking out the dynamite. Okay. Okay. So uh, <laughs> apparently, was the hot take. But I, but I guess though, I think. Uh, I mean, honestly, John. Though, in all seriousness about this, I mean, I think that was kind of a bit off, off guard, though. But again, uh, Stephen Wang uh, pushing the buttons and uh, sharing us and all of the uh, uh, all the good stuff tonight uh, for the program. And, of course, we uh, thank Stephen and, of course, MI6 for, a bit, again, being the, the home here of Wild Sports Talk. But, John, I do think that Isaiah's onto a good point or a great point, though, is for one, two starts in a row. Okay, maybe this one looked a little bit better promising. But now you have the news, though, about maybe, you know, more elbow issues, a strain of the forearm or a flexor strain that, again, probably is Tommy John 2.0 again is now the Angels, I think, now have that ultimatum in regards that they must either give them an option of, you know, take the time off to, you know, from pitching, or I think they just have to make them a full-time DH. I think that with the outfield, there's still too much pressure on throwing the ball. If you have to throw a guy out at the plate or to second base, uh, even first base, uh, even on double play balls, uh, things of that, of that caliber. Uh, John, uh, your reaction to the latest news about Shohei Otani, what is the best case scenario for the Angels now? Full-time DH or still let this guy work his way out of trouble on the mound? It's devastating to see because this guy has such a promising career. And he's he when he came into the league, he was, uh, you know, proclaimed as this best two-way player that we could have ever seen. I remember writing an article comparing him to Babe Ruth because of his ability to swing the bat and, and throw pitches. And I guess pitching is not working for him anymore. Uh, he obviously expressed discomfort in his throwing arm. And for the second start now, he didn't look sharp at all. Um, he didn't bring his stuff. Um, he looks like he's not there mentally and physically and I mean, he just doesn't look comfortable on the mound. We've, we've seen it over and over again. I think it's time, if you're Joe Madden, you move him to DH and you let him swing the bat. Because the positive is, he can still swing the bat for you. The negative is, he can't pitch anymore. He looks he looks uncomfortable on the mound. Um, in his second start, the positive here is that he did manage to record an out, unlike in his first start. He couldn't even record an out when he stepped to the mound. Uh, it, it was just a, a, a disaster for him. And now, uh, at least in the second start, he was able to get it out. But he still didn't bring his good stuff. 
I mean, he he did show some good stuff with his splitter, um, but his fastball, it, it it's not effective because it doesn't have that vertical movement like it used to. See, his fastballs, when he used to throw his fastballs, they had vertical movement on it, and now we don't see that anymore. Look, this is a staggering stat that I have for you guys. He threw only 25 of his 50 pitches for strikes and has now walked eight of of the 16 batters he's faced. That tells you something right there that he needs to switch his position and play every day in the outfield or either be a, a, a reliable designated hitter, something where he fits in right now, I think. He fits in as a DH, I, I think so. But, I mean, there is no deception in his pitches. He, he just, he, he can't seem to get the ball over the plate. It's not a good look for Otani right now. Um, Otani needs to reconsider his options. And, you know, for a guy who just came off Tommy John surgery um, and to possibly have to undergo Tommy John surgery again is a huge blow. Isaiah, I don't recall many times where pitchers have undergone Tommy John twice. Again, it's probably a very rare stat when that happens. But more than anything else, though, is the only reason that I did not pick the Angels to win the AOS is while they have enough offense, Trout, Lestella, Pujols, even Otani, and also uh, Anthony Rendon, their Achilles heel is their pitching. And they have a lot of young guys that are in the rotation, other than Julio Teron really being like the, the main notable veteran in, that, uh, in their pitching arsenal. Their bullpen is also very young, and they're also not immune to giving up a lot of runs. Um, Isaiah, I guess, in your mind, if in fact that Otani, because I think he's been, personally, he looks a lot more comfortable swinging the bat than he does on the mound. And again, it's all in between the years, I think, when he's on the mound as opposed to uh, hitting. Uh, Isaiah, at this rate, do the Angels really have enough time left, in your mind, to keep throwing him out there on the mound? Or is it, in your mind, is this now the ultimatum now of this week with how he performs tomorrow starting that series in Seattle when he's hitting if he keeps hitting the ball to the ballpark, does that become the time where the Angels just say, hey, you're done, for, you're done pitching for the remainder of the time that you're here? Um, in terms of, like, remainder of his career in Anaheim, uh, I think it's too early to, to make a decision on that because it depends. You know, if he needs Tommy John surgery again, then, yeah, I think, you know, he, like, he honestly should just, um, just be a full-time DH because – I know a guy that had Tommy John surgery again, and he was battered by elbow problems after the Tommy John surgery. And that was Jared Parker, like former pitcher for the A's, who he was really good when he was healthy, but he got Tommy John again, and then he broke his elbow again. And I just think when you get Tommy John again, you're just more prone to getting more elbow injuries. So I really think that if it is Tommy John again, then I, ha I think he, Otani should just, you know, be like, screw it. I'm not going to pitch anymore. I'm retiring from pitching. I'm just going to transition into being a full-time hitter. And in terms of this season, though, I really do think that he should just transition into a full-time DH because uh, a flexor strain take, what, two, three months maybe to get you back. That's with rehab, too. So he just doesn't have the time because the baseball season, we've got only, like, what, next month baseball season – uh, the regular season ends. So he doesn't have time to get back from this flexor strain. So I believe like in terms of right now for this season, I think he should just transition into a full-time DH, but in terms of uh, his future, 
as a pitcher, I think it's kind of still too early to call that. And again, that, that comes if he has Tommy John again, and maybe he has to do, you know, another year or two of full-time, uh, you know, rehab and stuff of this nature and so on and so forth. And, you know, uh, John, I, I will say this though, is I think, and again, you know, I, I, I can say this, I've been to Japan and I've seen some of these uh, professional uh, baseball games over there. And these guys that do in fact pitch in Japan, they're just like Otani now. They throw one day a week and then they're off for the remainder of the week. So Otani throws on Sunday, he's off for the remainder of the week and so on and so forth. But I think John too, as a former player myself and someone that played baseball, played hockey, played basketball for a bit, is I feel like though that there's been that the the main reason why I feel like that more and more kids are playing or having Tommy John at young ages, like 17, 18, you know, even earlier than that, is they no longer really are playing more than one sport where they're not playing basketball to get their cardio or playing hockey for cardio or football or something else. John, do you perhaps also think that mainly for, you know, young kids in the States that are in fact, you know, getting through high school into college, that the reason why there's a lot of arm injuries in baseball is because most of these kids don't play more than one sport. They play one sport year round now where they run that risk of further hurting themselves for their actual sport playing career. Or they're just made of glass and they break easily. Put them in bubble wrap. Why not? <laughs> Kidding. But, but yeah, I see where you're going with this. It's a valid point. Uh, because look, if, if you're pitching at a young age, um, you, you know, that's wear and tear on your arm. Um, it takes a lot to throw a pitch. And that is how a lot of these players get diagnosed with uh, shoulder cuff injuries. Um, you know, then they have to have Tommy John surgery. They might tear a ligament in their elbow. And I'm not a doctor, but I think if you're pitching at a very young age, it eventually catches up with you. Um, you know, you, that's your your position as a player. You you throw pitches, so of course you're gonna you're gonna wear down your arm. Um, you're gonna have a time where you get injured, and especially if you're used a lot, um, you have a chance of really blowing off your arm. So I mean, um, yes, this kind of stuff does affect the athlete, especially if they stick to one sport like baseball, and even more so if you're a pitcher. Definitely. Isaiah, what, what would you make about that? You know, because I, for one, think that I probably need some type of a cleanup in my elbow from playing for as long as I played baseball again, all the way till high school and, uh, you know, playing in, in uh, whether it was year round or, you know, high school, play travel ball, go play overseas somewhere, stuff like that. Um, Isaiah, what would you probably say or echo those sentiments, though, that maybe that or, you know, is it alarming in your mind seeing so many young, promising baseball players, not just pitchers, but baseball players having to have Tommy John at very young ages due to the nature of them really, you know, playing the game practically 12 months out of the year without taking the time off to rest and rehab and kind of you know, let the body breathe for a bit. Yeah, I, right now, I just think it is really alarming because you're seeing kids like 16 years old or 15 years old undergoing Tommy John surgery. That, that's just really like, really scary, honestly. And, um, well, I think that about the whole Tommy John surgery thing, I just think it's the reason why it's because you have like, I heard this on the radio the other day and it's because the kids, the coaches are emphasizing kids to throw 
really hard because they see a, like guys like a Rollis Chapman throwing a hundred or uh, Dylan Batances throwing ninety nine, and they just want to copy them. So I just feel like a lot of it has to do with the kids just trying to throw really hard, and their arms just can't take it. And Callan, man, I feel for you, man. Like you might need to clean up in my el- in your elbow. Heck, dude, like I. I tried pitching the other day when I went with my friends to go play baseball. I threw a, like, I reared back, tried to throw a fastball or not a fastball, a cutter, and now my elbow is throbbing. So who knows? Maybe like after one pitch, I need Tommy John surgery for crying out loud. <laughs> we probably both do. Who the heck knows? That's why, I, that's why I stay true to the outfield, baby. Stay true to the outfield. To make those sensational diving catches to end innings and stop rallies. But with that, though, guys, obviously, uh, while we've had some good news, uh, gents, in regards to uh, nothing further with the Phillies and I think some good news with the Marlins, though, the domino effect continues across Major League Baseball, and that is the St. Louis Cardinals, one of the most well-respected franchises in Major League Baseball, who now, gents, are under their own scrutiny for a couple of reports that have come out that they were out at a casino having themselves a good old time where, in fact, uh, the virus may have been uh, contracted. Also, some conflicting reports, too, from uh, both Dexter Fowler and Colton Wong, who were out on a golf course prior to the team's uh, road series in Milwaukee that ultimately was canceled because of the ongoing uh, of now their COVID-19 outbreak. Um, Isaiah, I think we'll start with you on this one, because I know, man, that this has been, you know, that it seems like that baseball kind of takes one step forward and then something else comes up like this and it's two steps backwards. And it's been that way practically since the season got uh, got started uh, back in July. Isaiah, again, some more light shed on, again, some of the uh, bad stories involving Major League Baseball teams that, again, just can't get out of their own way right now. Isaiah, your thoughts on the latest snafu of COVID involving the Cardinals. What do you got? Well, my, my thoughts when I first heard it was I was like, why, man? Why would you do this at this point? moment like i said last week we are literally in a pandemic how do you guys not like understand this do i have to you know get a a a megaphone and blast this out in your ear we're in a pandemic for crying out loud and you decide oh i am bored i am bored in my hotel and then go off to a casino or in the marlins case go to a strip club or whatever you deserve to you know, miss all these games. It's because of your stupid actions like this. That's exactly what is causing um, all these outbreaks. If you guys like didn't go out and just stayed in your hotel, like MLB protocol says, none of this would have happened. Look at all the other 28 teams that are following protocol. They are wearing their masks. They are socially distancing. Nobody is having an outbreak. But the Cardinals and the Marlins decided, oh, yeah, we're not going to follow protocol. We're not going to put on masks. You know, we're not going to socially distance. We're going to go to strip club. We're going to go to a casino and stuff. Like, seriously, stay in your hotel, go to the ballpark every day, put in your work, and then go home. How simple? I mean, yeah, how simple is that? Like, it's like we have to treat the players like they're freaking kindergartners. My God. Like, that's just how bad it is. It's like, do I really need to put you guys on a timeout or something? Like, geez, if you don't follow the rules, no baseball for you. That should be the rule. You know, John, obviously this has been, you know, a very rough start to the season. The Marlins mainly, of course. Now the Cardinals, who again, man, are probably one of the most respected franchises in baseball uh, just by how they, you know, the Cardinal way, you know, do things the right way, no cutting corners. But now, man, when you have an organization that is 
you know, known for doing things the right way, the cardinal way, doing things the right way. Now it just, man, just gives baseball a whole nother outlook of another week of, you know, banter and pressure and, you know, negative publicity, which again is what they don't need. Uh, thanks to the Marlins and thanks to now the Cardinals, man. Uh, you know, John, again, very, again, a very rough couple weeks here uh, for the, uh, for major league baseball. John, what do you make about the Cardinals in the latest snafu again, go into the craps tables at a local casino to uh, have a good time while on the road. Well, these players to me have shown a lack of responsibility. Um, they're careless about their, their consequences of their actions, obviously. To go to a casino in the middle of a pandemic is not being very responsible. Um, you know, it just says, it, it just tells you everything you need to know about these players. They're young. They're immature. They don't handle things in a professional manner. And that's what, we, that's what we're seeing with these Cardinals and these Marlins. And it's pathetic to me. I mean, you know, all you got to do is abide by the protocols, but it's not easy for people who don't take this matter seriously. They know what's going yeah. on. They know that we live in, in this crazy world right now, and they know what is expected of them. For them not to follow the rules, they should be ashamed of themselves. They knew better than this, but they go out and do it anyway. But you're gonna have a lot of young people like a lot of these young players who are going to break the rules and they're going to try to do anything they can, uh, you know, to sneak out of their hotel rooms, to go to casinos, to go to bars, have a drink, uh, you know, throw cash at, throw ca ca look, cash at women at strip clubs. I mean, you know, they're young people and they're going to try to have fun while they're playing a game that they love. But if you take this game very seriously, and if you are unselfish about protecting yourself and others, uh, then you will abide by the rules that are in place and you will follow the protocol. If not, then you should forfeit your season. Um, and I mean, all it takes is a few bad apples to, you know, ruin everything. And you're, you know, you miss out on the opportunity to uh, possibly Seeing your team to the playoffs. So again, folks, we'll keep an eye on what's going on right now in Major League Baseball. Again, obviously, we have had some great news, though, or at least some reassuring news, at least, with baseball. Again, no new positive test with the Marlins or the Phillies. Again, the Phillies were finally able to play their first game in over a week tonight in the Bronx versus the Yankees. But again, now the Cardinals, again, somewhat of a domino effect. Their game with uh, the Tigers, and I believe the whole series now has been canceled because of the outbreak of COVID-19 amongst the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, with that, guys, we'll move over now to the NFL. And again, we want to thank everyone here for uh, joining us and for being a part of the program here tonight. And again, folks, if you have any questions or comments, again, please feel free to fire away in the live chat box, uh, either on the watch party or on the MI6 uh, Sports Network uh, video post. And again, we'll do our best to make sure those are, in fact, read. But guys, uh, in the NFL, first and foremost, again, Odell Beckham Jr. back in the news again. But again, but more so for comments uh, that were made earlier on in the pandemic that are now have been shifting gears. Now, I'll, I'll quickly read off the quote that Odell first gave back earlier in the shutdown uh, uh, that was uh, done by WSJ Magazine, Wall Street Journal, the Wall Street uh, Journal, I believe, uh, with the interview and sources uh, told ESPN that Beckham would not opt out of a season. 
Uh, two weeks ago, Odell said the following quote, obviously with everything that's going on, it doesn't make sense why we're, why we're trying to do this. We're not ready for football season, so why are we trying to push forward? It's obviously for their money. And that bothers me because there's always been this, and I hate saying it like that, but the owner's attitude is, oh, we own, we own you guys, and just kind of that unfairness going on that they don't see us as human. I just feel like the season shouldn't happen, and I'm prepared for it to not happen, and I won't mind not having it. Close quote were the um, comments given uh, further, adding one more comment here from uh, OBJ. He also says, we are, uh, we're in a place where people are really being affected. Economy is being affected. People are dying. Numbers are spiking. The blank is real. Yet, uh, they're trying to make football happen with everything going on. What does that say about our country? That football is important, question mark, and close quote. Uh, you know, John, obviously, I know, man, that the pandemic has been, you know, very hard on a lot of us that have been either out of work for a long time. Obviously, all of us that work in sports have been out of it for a long time. But, John, what do you make, though, about Odell Beckham Jr.'s comments? I know, man, that on the very first episode of our podcast, you came out and said to Odell Beckham Jr., stop talking and play the game. But now I think, though, man, with these comments, though, that, you know, I think he's on to a point, though. Football players, in my mind, are not going to be physically in shape for a season because they've had no time to, to prepare uh, with, the, with organized activities with the team in regards to restrictions in place at the, uh, at the practice facility, uh, coaches not being allowed to, uh, not being uh, around. And also you, you can only do so much at home, you know, on your own and not with uh, organized teams. Uh, John, what do you make about Odell's new comments though, about mainly that I think he's right though, that football should be the least of, of everyone's concerns right now at this juncture. Football should be the least of everyone's concern. The more important thing is your safety and your health at this moment, at, at this time. Um, but of course the NFL is a billion dollar enterprise and they're going to do everything they can to make sure there's a football season this year. Um, by September, they want to play football. Um, it's crazy to think that this might actually happen because the players haven't had a chance to really work out and get their bodies in shape, uh, you know, uh, let alone try to figure out how they're going to play. Um, if the NFL proceeds um, to go on this year, I think it's kind of a bit crazy that they want, you know, put them in a bubble like they did the NBA because all that's going to do is uh, result in more positive tests. And that could cause an outbreak throughout the league, like what we're seeing with baseball here. If, if, that, if there's MLB players that are leaving their hotel rooms, going to bars, you know, uh, uh, you know, giving um, strippers uh, tips and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's NFL players that would, you know, do the same thing that won't take uh, life right now very seriously and will, you know, uh, come back and, you know, possibly expose someone to the virus. So I think Odell Beckham is on to something. I think a lot of people will be highly critical of his comments because this is not the first time that he's, um, you know, let off some steam. This is not the first time that um, he's given his take on something. And this is not the first time that we've heard him rant. Uh, so because he's rant a number of times and, this, and he has a history of doing this type of things, uh, there are definitely the critics out there that saying, well, no, you know, he, he, he might be onto something. He might have a good point. But how can we take him seriously uh, 
because of all the things that he said or has done in the past. You've seen his antics on the football field, him taking on a, 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 a net on the sideline or, or doing these outrageous things that um, have people talking about you. But I do think he's onto something. What he said, it makes a lot of sense. These owners, they want their money. They, they, they want to see a season so they could stuff their pockets with cash. And that's what it's all about at this point. And if Odell Beckham doesn't feel comfortable playing this season, then he can opt out of his contract. Uh, not opt out of his contract, but he can opt, opt out, out of the season, season and, and try it again next season. That's simple. Yeah, it is that simple, you know, and again, Isaiah, I think, though, that John, you know, he was very, you know, and again, we, you know, he's opinionated, he's outspoken, that's why he's on the team, Mr. Mr. Mathis, uh, to my left on where I'm at here uh, on Hollywood Square's uh, WST edition, but Isaiah, you know, I think, though, that John said it best, though, on episode one, though, about OBJ was, man, be quiet, shut your mouth, and play football. But now, though, I think, though, that John is probably onto a good point. There was a lot of people out there probably agree, though, that Odell needs to just, you know, put a muzzle on it, be quiet, and let his game do his talking. But now, though, man, I think he's onto a good point, though, is that football should be the least of anyone's concerns. And I think a lot of people would agree, though, but sports should be the, uh, the least of anyone's concerns right now with the pandemic going on and stuff of that nature. Uh, Isaiah, what do you make, though, about uh, the newest country by OBJ? Uh, pretty much saying that right now we don't need football as a country. I totally agree with him because right now, as John and Odell Beckham Jr. mentioned, we have far, uh, far more important things to worry about than football. Like football is obviously the least of our worries. Um, we want to make sure that people are staying safe, people are uh, healthy, and also people that are in the hospital that are, you know, dying from this virus. Um, I just think right now, like we just have far, uh, yeah, far more stuff to worry about than football. And to be honest, like John said, I really don't think there, there's going to be a football season. Even like, it's going to kill me to say it, but it's true. Because when you look at it, baseball, they're not in a bubble. They are already having a hard time trying to pull this off. And they are socially distant. Like everybody's like 90 feet apart. So if baseball is having a hard time pulling this off, how is football going to do it when players are in contact with each other every single play? And also, you talk about like baseball players being very unprofessional and going to clubs and casinos and all that stuff. Football players are going to do the same thing. In fact, you have like like you have people that are just coming straight from college, the rookies that are going to be partying in the clubs and stuff like that. It's just, it's just the mindset of our young generation right now that is really ruining everything. Like they just don't care and it's just going to suck. So again, folks, Odell Beckham Jr. Again, uh, now says he's not going to opt out of the season, but again, they'll make some new comments though uh, over the past uh, week or two with uh, the wall street journal. And uh, Isaiah, let's go back to you again. Uh, the 49ers made a very interesting signing uh, per the rap sheet here, a incentive-laden one-year deal for Jordan Reed. Um, Isaiah, what do you think this move does for San Francisco in your mind and why? I think this is a fabulous move because Jordan Reed, when he is healthy, he is one of the best tight ends in the NFL. It's just that this guy has suffered concussion after concussion after concussion after concussion. If he can stay healthy this year, him and George Kittle will form a formidable duel. They might honestly be the uh, a second coming of Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. That's how like lethal these two are when healthy. 
Um, I think, you know, uh, uh, Jordan Reed reuniting with Shanahan, it's going to be good for him, but it's all about the health of Jordan Reed. If this guy gets another concussion, he should honestly just retire because that would be, what, his eighth concussion of his career? And, and that's, like, really scary. But if he's healthy, man, San Francisco's offense just got a whole lot better. You know, John, I think it's a deal that's probably worth it for Jordan Reed again, though. But with Isaiah mentioning those concussions, man, that's making my head spin because you're talking six to seven concussions. And, you know, which one, if the next one happens, when is enough enough going to be for Jordan Reed? And again, how many blows could he take before it's going to, you know, I have to step away from the game, though. But Isaiah, if in fact, though, but John, like Isaiah said, though, if in fact he can stay healthy, what does this do for, for San Francisco in your mind? I respectfully disagree with Isaiah. I actually fear for his life. I mean, you talk about concussion after concussion. What if he takes another significant blow to the head? I mean, if I were him, I would have retired from football. But I understand when you're a competitor, you don't want to give up. The oh, game yeah, for sure. That you played your entire life. Um, this is a moment you dream for and, and you want to continue to thrive if you can. So I respect Jordan Reed for that. I, I get it. He's an experienced tight end. Um, the 49ers were looking for a, a running mate uh, uh, to go alongside uh, George Kittle, who I, I think this would be wonderful. Um, as you know, Kyle Shanahan wants to uh, run more tight end schemes. Um, and so this fits perfectly for his offense. But again, he's been derailed by injury um, over the course of his career. He's missed all of last season with a concussion. Um, he has never played a full season, a full NFL season. That's a question mark right there. That's alarming to me. You've never been able to play a full season. How can we depend on you? You can't never stay healthy. Um, I... I I know it's a one-year move, but I don't think it's the best move in the world. Um, I, I, I understand that the 49ers are going to take their chances on it. He reunites with Kyle Shanahan. He's had uh, great success with Kyle Shanahan when uh, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator with Washington. Uh, so I, I, I can see why the move makes a lot of sense, but I, I just don't know um, how this all will play out. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. And again, I think I'm probably on board with John, though. I mean, I, I, I like the signing. I think it's going to have it's going to pay off. But if his health is a very big concern, I mean, I would be having alarm bells going off. Isaiah, would you like to respond to John? Um, I know I agree with what a lot of what John said, but I'm just saying in terms of like his production on the field, if he can stay healthy, I think he he's a very like elite tight end went healthy. So I think with him and George Kittle, he, they would be a formidable duel. And let's not forget Jordan Reed with San Francisco. He's not going to have to do that much because he's not like the top tight end. George Kittle will be the one shouldering all the load on offense. And Jordan Reed will just be there, you know, to either block or, you know, to make a catch once in a while when Kittle is double. So I think it's, it's a good signing in terms of like the production but you can always release him if he gets hurt. So I think it's like a win-win. John, what do you think about that? You know, again, like we said, though, I, I kind of called this like, or I think we all agreed about this being like a Cam Newton deal, very incentive-laden, one year, you know, maybe minimum pay. 
John, what do you think about that contract, though, for San Francisco? Does that help them out in case something does, in fact, go wrong? If he stays healthy, because remember, it's a one-year deal, so it's not really much of a risk. It's not like you're signing him to a, a long-term deal that's worth five years, uh, uh, 200 and something million. It's, it's not an outrageous contract of, or, or anything. So I, I don't, I mean, what is one year going to hurt? I right. mean, um, you know, we'll see what he do. Like Isaiah said, he's a great blocker. He could be solid for them um, uh, when it comes to blocking. And I think Kyle Shanahan sees something in him. Remember, again, he was the, he was his offensive coordinator at one time. And Kyle Shanahan is very is very uh, uh, good when it comes to working with tight ends. So again, folks, we'll keep in mind that is, in fact, uh, that moves on. Uh, we'll see how, in fact, uh, Jordan Reed is. And again, uh, hopefully his health will not be a factor this year for San Francisco. Isaiah, we'll go over to you now for this uh, as we talk NBA basketball. Of course, the Phoenix Suns and Dallas Mavericks playing last night. Uh, down to the wire finish last night. Building action for, uh, I think, guys, all the action has been very exciting down in the bubble in Orlando for the NBA so far. But Isaiah, I know you want to talk about uh, the uh, Suns and Mavericks game. And, of course, uh, your boy, Devin Booker. So give us the lowdown on the Mavs and Suns from last night. Yeah, it was a really, really good game. Uh, it went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, Devin Booker, when he was in, in the game at one point, the Phoenix Suns had a 14-point lead. And then when he went to the bench, uh, the Dallas Mavericks, they came back and they nearly took the lead. But it came all the way down to uh, the final possession. Kristaps Porzingis misses a game-winning three, and the Suns hold on. But my biggest takeaways from this game is that, number one, the Phoenix Suns, I believe, have a legit shot at landing that eighth and final playoff spot in the West. I know a lot of people laughed at them and dismissed them when the NBA announced that they were part of the 22 teams that were going to the Orlando bubble. But based off what I've seen, the first two games, they are a legit threat to take that eighth seed. They are playing really great basketball right now. They are moving the basketball extremely well. They are defending at a high level. Devin Booker is playing like how he always plays. He had 27 points in the first game, 30 points in the second game. He's showing the world uh, what a superstar that he is. And then now you've got guys like DeAndre Ayton, who they took number one a couple of years ago, and Cameron Payne, who was a like, – I think he was like – uh, either not 10 or 15th pick by the Oklahoma City Thunder three, four years ago. He was sort of like a forgotten man. He's actually uh, discovered himself in Phoenix. And it's been really, really amazing to watch. They are stepping up and they are showing their full potential. The Phoenix Suns are a legit contender for that eight seed. And they could easily get in with Memphis, New Orleans, and the Kings looking absolutely garbage in their first couple of games. The second thing I came away from this game was that I was extremely disgusted with how the referees are treating Devin Booker. The referees know that Devin Booker is a superstar, and yet he still gets treated like contracted free agent just coming out of college. He's the most disrespected player in all of basketball. Devin Booker, I'll tell you guys right now, needs to get the hell out of Phoenix immediately and request a trade to join LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the Los Angeles Lakers. That's the only way that he will get the treatment that he deserves. You just look at this game and you will see what I'm talking about. The refs kept calling fouls on Devin Booker just for the slightest touch 
on, a, on an opposing player. Stephen Curry never gets those called on him. James Harden never gets those called on him. LeBron James never gets those called on him. Even Luka Doncic and Trey Young never get those called on him. <laughs> and on the other side of the court, Kevin Booker drives to the basket and gets clobbered by Christoph Porzingis and Seth Curry and doesn't even receive a foul call. It's absolutely BS to see one of the brightest young stars receive this cruel of a treatment. Adam Silver, you and the NBA, yeah, you and the rest of the NBA, you always wonder why the young stars of small market teams always need to go to big teams. Well, that's the reason why. It's because... Teams of small market, they always get treated unfairly. And it's utterly BS, man. Like, it's just so sad to see. This is why the NBA is garbage, man. It's, it's, I, I don't have any more. I'm like, ah. Uh, gotta love the passion. You gotta love the passion for sure. But, you know, uh, with this in mind, though, uh, John, you know, again, I think, though, that Isaiah's onto a good point and tangent here. Because, you know, that eight seed, you know, because again, if, if a team gets within a certain threshold of games of the eight spot, there's a play in tournament to decide who gets that eight seed, which I think just adds a whole nother layer of drama to the NBA postseason. Uh, John, what do you make, though, about the Suns? Because I think, though, that a lot of that probably, I think, Isaiah's on a good point, though. New Orleans has looked okay in certain games. Uh, Sacramento, eh, they've had one, a couple of good performances by De'Aaron Fox, but again, one player won't win you a series. And then also with, uh, uh, the other teams that are, in fact, vying for that spot, though. Uh, what, John, what do you make about the uh, uh, the game between Dallas and Phoenix from last night? I would be remiss if I didn't say that Devin Booker is one of the top scorers in the league. Amen. He is an elite superstar. He has emerged into a perennial all-star. Give him the respect. Give him the credit that he deserves. If this team continues to play well, he can lead them to the playoffs. He can do amazing things. He could carry this team on his back pretty much. I think what we've seen from the Phoenix Suns is their ability to share the ball. They're unselfish. They're a very unselfish team. They're very well coached by Monty Williams, who doesn't get the credit that he deserves. I think he's done an amazing job since he's taken that Phoenix job. Um, the Suns looked great last night. They didn't look intimidated at all by the Dallas Mavericks. Now, the Dallas Mavericks have two superstars of their own, Poisingas, and then you have Luka, uh, who have been on a tear since the restart. They have both put up a tremendous amount of points. They have had monster performances since the restart. But I'm with Isaiah on this. I think the Phoenix Suns can make a run because, look, there's times that New Orleans have, have looked pedestrian. They're still a young team. They're still trying to figure things out over there. Uh, Memphis is a fairly young team. I know they have an explosive superstar with great athleticism, and that's John ja, ja Morant, uh, who's been sensational since he's coming to the league. Um, uh, but, yeah, the Phoenix Suns are knocking at the door. They're making a lot of noise right now. And I think Devin Booker is looking to uh, send a statement, a very loud statement, because I think along with Isaiah, he is the most disrespected player in the league. He's one of the most disrespected players in the league. 
Um, so I think the Phoenix Suns definitely have a chance. I don't think the Kings are going to do much. I think Luke Walton over there is already on the hot seat because now they're questioning his ability to coach a young team. Um, um, you know, so I, I just think the Phoenix Suns are in a great position if they continue to uh, play very well. I agree. You know, and again, that's, again, folks, the teams that are not in the eighth spot, again, have to get within a certain threshold of games back of the eighth spot to force a play-in tournament between the nine and eight seed to get the eight spot. So again, Memphis perhaps has a chance uh, to hold it. But again, you have Phoenix, you have Sacramento uh, and stuff of that nature that again could in fact spew over, which I think would be, you know, that'd be great guys. I think to have, you know, one play-in game to determine the eight seed. Then, you, you know, again, just add more drama because as we said, we were in very, you know, this is a very different time for sports coming back. Uh, Isaiah, you wanted to make a point about Coach Luke Walton. Go for it, bud. What is it? Listen, I need to personally come on right now and apologize to LeBron James. Last year, when, you know, LeBron James and Luke Walton had their riff, I personally went on one of my episodes and I said that, hey, if I'm the Lakers, I go, I, I trade LeBron James and I take Luke Walton over LeBron James. I realize right now how horrific that statement you is. Said, like, I see what? Just, yes. Listen, listen, I, I need to apologize to LeBron James for that. Like, I, I was a huge fan of Luke Walton. I loved him so much. But right now, I am looking like an absolute fool for my statement because Walton, abs he simply doesn't know how to coach. Like, and I, I can't excuse him for anything that he did last night. You were down 94 to 66 in the third quarter to an Orlando Magic team that I think were like, they have Aaron Gordon as their top player. Are you serious, Luke Walton? You made the Orlando Magic look like the second coming of the 1996 Chicago Bulls. That's how absolutely ridiculous you are at coaching. I think the Sacramento Kings should fire Luke Walton right after that performance, because that was absolutely horrific. You lose to a team that is, first of all, has a losing record, and also, they're not even that good. It's it's utterly pathetic, man. So LeBron, I, I apologize to you, man. Like I I apologize to you for saying that you know the Lakers should take Walton over you. I apologize for saying that um yeah that the Lakers that uh, Walton was the winner over you in the beef that you guys had. Walton is a clueless coach. He makes me look like a competent coach. I, I'm just done with Luke Walton. Isaiah. Isaiah, your rants are very terrifying. That that scared the, the living crap out of me. <laughs> I'm kidding. But yeah, man, man, if if you look on my Facebook timeline, I, I I don't know one of those those videos. I was mad because like I really liked Luke Walton as a coach, and I thought he was doing really good. But then he LeBron came in, so I was like really pissed off because I wanted to keep Luke Walton. So I don't know why I uttered those words. I was like. You know, if the Lakers had to pick between LeBron James or Luke Walton, if I'm the Lakers, I'm picking Luke Walton all day. And now those words are literally going to come back to haunt me. We're going to move on and talk about the Lakers. 
after uh, them splitting the first two games. I can report, folks, with the Lakers' victory tonight. They have clinched for the first time in 10 years. The number one overall seed in the Western Conference for the postseason. Long time coming for the Lake Show, of course, going through a very long spell of uh, playoff absences and things of that nature. Um, Isaiah, we'll start with you. I don't even know if we should start with you on this for the first one after those comments that were made. But again, that was in the past. Uh, what are some takeaways, I guess, from the Lakers that we've seen, of course, a great game down to the wire against uh, the Clippers, of course, where LeBron on a whole other defensive level against the Clippers in the waning moments of that game where I think, guys, we had that very telling photo of the game of Kawhi Leonard having a very, very, you know, upset face where LeBron just calm, cool, collected, locking him down on defense. Uh, and then, of course, uh, sadly getting, uh, losing to Toronto. But, but tonight, though, uh, winning over Utah. And again, first time in 10 years, the Lakers are the number one overall seed. And what happened 10 years ago? They beat Boston for title number 16. Isaiah, your takeaways from the Lakers so far down in Orlando in the bubble. Listen, right now I'm walking around my house trying to find a bottle of apple cider so I can open it and just celebrate it on the show. But my first of all, I want to congratulate the Lakers. It's been a long, long drought. Like, honestly, like this, this has probably been the most painful uh, stretch of my entire life watching Lakers basketball from watching the likes of Chris Kamen and Carlos Boozer and Jeremy Lin and um, Jordan Clarkson and Xavier Henry and all, all the other scrubs that I've had to watch. It's, and now to get where we've gotten, it's just absolutely worth it. I'm so thankful we're the number one seed. Uh, but my takeaways from it is number one, I really, I really need to give kudos to Kyle Kuzma. This guy, I mentioned, I think earlier when we were previewing the Lakers restart, I said, Kyle Kuzma, if the Lakers want to win a championship, he's got to step up in the restart and the postseason simply because Kyle Kuzma, you know, he's LeBron James and Anthony Davis, teams are going to take them away. So you're going to need a third guy to step up. And I believe Kyle Kuzma has that talent to be that third guy. And he stepped up. So far, he was big tonight. He was big on Thursday against, uh, or yeah, Thursday against the Clippers. He was big on Saturday, scoring 16 points off the bench. He's finding his shot. He has this aggressive mentality now where he's looking to score first and not just to pass. I, I, Kyle Kuzma has been really amazing, man. I really hope he continues it because if, the late, if Kyle Kuzma can continue to play well and give the Lakers like 16 or 20 points a night, there's nobody beating the Lakers, to tell you the truth. And my second takeaway from it is I really think LeBron James, as I told Callan and John on an earlier uh, call, LeBron James needs to stop having that mentality of being a pass first. He needs to yes. be aggressive and take it to the hole and look to score. That's, that's why the Lakers struggled against the Clippers. It's because you were running the offense through Anthony Davis and the Clippers took that away. And LeBron, you know, he wasn't really good with his shot at that time. I expected, I expect him to get better with it, but he was looking to pass too often. And, you know, it ended up being like turnovers or useless possessions. LeBron has to, you know, change his mindset and look to score first come postseason time. John, you know, I think that's the biggest thing, though, that people have against LeBron is he becomes way over passive when the postseason rolls around. I mean, I get the fact of him trying to work everybody in, man, but you're LeBron James. You got to take over ball games, man, and you have to kind of have what Kobe used to do and take over games and put that team on your back 
and, you know, carrying them to the finish line. And I think, though, that, you know, obviously LeBron probably had a bad shooting night against the Clippers. But it, when it came down to when it mattered the most, LeBron still beat out Kawhi and Paul George when, of course, the Lakers won that game. Again, missed the shot. Perfect place. Johnny on the spot. Grabbed the rebound. Put it in. Break the tie. And again, locked down the defense for the 103-101 win. And then, of course, the Lakers had a very bad night shooting the ball against the Raptors a couple days ago. And then tonight beat Utah to, again, for the first time in 10 years, clinch that number one overall seed and win their 51st game of the season this year for the Lake Show. John, your takeaways uh, on the Lakers through their three games played, or even, of course, more so the most recent two against LAC and also against Toronto. People want LeBron to channel his innermost Kobe Bryant, and we're not going to get too much of that from LeBron James. LeBron James is a different type of player. He is not going to do what Kobe did on the court. He, he has the killer instinct, yes, but he doesn't bring it the same way that Kobe brought it. Um, it you know, you can't really compare the two. And that's where people—that's where people make their mistake. They want to compare both of these guys to each other. Yes, he's wearing a Laker uniform. Can he lead them to a championship? Certainly, he can. He has three championships. You know, he's led two different teams to NBA championships. Uh, he didn't have his best uh, rosters in Cleveland, and he still managed to lead this team to uh, the NBA Finals. It's impressive. Um, by LeBron James, what he's been able to accomplish um, in his in his career. But don't expect him to be like Kobe. I think he does need to be a little bit more aggressive. I think there's times that he's too passive. Um, he's a very unselfish player. So in his mind, he wants to facilitate and make everyone around him better. And he does a great job making sure everyone is involved. Um, but when he gets too aggressive at times, that's when his teammates start standing around and watching. What the Lakers need, they need Anthony Davis to be Anthony Davis. They need guys like J.R. Smith to catch fire and shoot and shoot efficiently. And they need um, Deion Waiters to be a, 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 a aggressive defensive player. And they need him to also make quality shots. I think if you get all that, I think the Lakers will be fine. But the biggest issue that I have is complacency. They can take a 10-point or a, or a double-digit lead, and they lose it because they get too relaxed, they become too lackadaisical, and they think they already have the game won, and the other team uh, says, no, not so fast. We're, we're going to try to uh, mount a comeback and beat you at your own game because you pretty much said, okay, we have it in the bag. We don't have to continue to play hard. Uh, let's just slow the tempo and the pace down and, and, you know, we'll be fine. No, you have to play a full 48 minutes. So I would like to see the Lakers play a full 48 minutes. If they can do that, I think they have a great shot at winning a championship. Isaiah, you know, we, we know the Lakers mentality. It's all about championships. They don't care about divisional titles, conference championships, final, you know, NBA finals runner up or, or it's all about the 16 NBA championship banners. And I think that I think a lot of people would agree that the Lakers would be on a mission because, of course, they've been countered out the past five years. They've gone through this very massive rebuild. Again, not looking like the Lakers that everyone knows, you know, successful franchise winning games. 
But of course, they've been fueled, of course, by getting uh, by having LeBron. Anthony Davis is now in the fold, and I think also motivated, of course, to play in honor of Kobe and Gianna Bryant. I think it's also a very motivating factor that probably people have swept under the rug and not really talked about since Kobe's passing back in January. But I think that that's probably has fueled this organization to kind of, in a way, you know, teams, I always say this, that teams go through adversity. They go through, you know, the winning streaks, the losing streaks, the, you know, the great years, the down years, and personal uh, travesty and personal tragedy, I should say, not travesty, but tragedy, as what the Lakers organization has been through this whole season, on top of, of course, the pandemic going on. Isaiah, what would, you know, in your mind, though, I know that it, that this really doesn't make, you know, matter a whole lot, but what do you think getting the, the one seed, at least in your mind, does for the Lakers in regards to, you know, hey, we, you know, we're, is it, is it one of those like, you know, hey, we're back sort of things pretty much, or what do you think that it probably means for them to get that number one overall seed in the Western Conference? I think it's huge. First of all, because it signals that we are back. And secondly, it allows us to play the eighth seed, which would probably be either Sacramento, which, as I said, with uh, my ripping of Walton has been absolutely horrific. And then the Spurs, they run the slowest offense in the NBA. They have um, DeMar DeRozan is their only star on their team. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge is out. So I'm not really worried about them. Honestly, I want to see the Spurs make it because, as I said in previous episodes, I don't want to see the Lakers use any energy in that first round. Like, I want to see a clean sweep or, like, maybe five games. But a sweep would be awesome. So we could conserve our energy for the second round, the conference finals and the NBA finals. And then the Phoenix Suns, they only got Devin Booker. I know they play at a really fast pace, but I'm not really worried about them. I think we would sweep them easily. The, um, the team that I really worried about, though, is Portland. Portland's the team that scares me. If they get the eighth seed, then, you know, all bets are off. You got Dame Lillard. You've got C.J. McCollum. You've got a team that, you know, should have been, the like, up there with the top four seeds this year in the NBA. But I don't know why they're down in the eighth seed, maybe because of injury. But overall, the Lakers, with that number one seed, now gets to play a team that is most likely going to be a sweep except Portland. So I think it's really, really good for us. Yeah, I agree. I think that Portland probably scares Laker fans. I think we, I think we all know like the history, and of course they're playing these games at neutral sites, though. But you know, you, you bring up Portland to a Laker fan, it's like, oh no, our own personal hell, and that's been the Moda Center slash Rose Garden for years and years and years. We know all about that as well, gents, uh, for sure. So, John, uh, I guess, what do you think? You know, what does the number one seed? I know that it doesn't result in a automatic championship or a conference title. Uh, but, you know, in your mind, though, John, what does, especially in a year like this for the Lakers, what does that number one overall seed, and, and, not, and like I said, though, first time in a decade, the Lakers have gotten the number one overall seed? It's nice and all, but it doesn't really mean anything. What, what means everything is winning a championship at the end of the day. It doesn't matter where you seed it. It's how you finish. You have to be able to endure to the end. If you can do that, then, you know, you're a great team, but until then, it's just the seeding. That's all it really is. The Lakers are going to have to really, you know, um, keep playing and grind each victory out and, and try to, uh, you know, reach their ultimate goal. And that is winning an NBA championship. I mean, it's nice to have the number one seed, but I mean, you're not really even playing on your home court. You're, the, the fans are not in attendance. So that really doesn't, you know, 
uh, that that's really not a huge factor at all, really. Um, I think you just go out there and you play your game. Um, again, seeding doesn't matter. Um, you know, just do what you got to do to try to win these games and try to get title number 17. Yeah, and again, I know it's all about championships when it's all said and done, but again, I think for the Lakers, mm -hmm. this would be a pretty good stepping stone at least. You know, hey, we got number one, you know, nothing to worry about, you know, 51 wins now, so maybe, I mean, probably they probably won't have to at this rate play anymore, or I would probably think that they probably wouldn't play as many of the star players as the remainder of the regular season right. uh, moves on because now you have that one spot. So again, it's like job security pretty much, so I would agree uh, with that. Right. Uh, guys. You're, you're right. There's really nothing to worry about, but the pressure ramps up when you have the number one seed. And every team, when they know you have the number one seed, they're really out to beat you. Motivating factor, definitely. So yeah. again, good points by both uh, by both John and Isaiah. Again, folks, we're wrapping up here very shortly. Again, thanks for bearing with us. Again, we had some uh, scheduling changes here made, uh, mainly on my part. Again, a friend. Uh, friends celebrating birthdays today so that's all that was really going on today so again thanks for bearing with us here this uh, evening and uh, for that matter again but we'll be back with you folks at a regular start time at six o'clock on Wednesday Isaiah what do you got just wanted to say happy birthday to uh, that friend of yours Khaled thank you very much I will be sure to let yeah. him know when I uh, talk to him uh, tomorrow very merry birthday <laughs> definitely uh I'm being silly. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, that's another reason why we call this Wild Sports Talk is when I leave the set, you know, it's something did, in fact, uh, get blown out of proportion. Thank you, Isaiah, for letting me walk off the stage uh, here today. And, yes, uh, Stephen in our chat box says, wild for sure. Uh, with that, guys, I do want to uh, touch base kind of briefly before we, in fact, wrap up for the night. Of course, the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs are going on right now in both Edmonton and in Toronto. Again, a bubble environment. Uh, all 12 teams from the West in Edmonton, all 12 teams out in the East uh, in Toronto. And I know that you guys probably are, don't watch a whole lot of hockey. But guys, I did bring this up, though, on the conference call that we were on earlier, is Gary Bettman looks like a genius with setting up shop for the NHL to be having their postseason going on in two different cities until they get to the conference and in, uh, in, uh, the conference and Stanley Cup finals. Um, Isaiah, I know, of course, that I think that mainly the NBA and the NHL only opened up the postseasons to 22 or 24 teams because, for one, not all the playoff spots were secured. And also, they probably didn't want to get that backlash from fans like, well, hey, we were a game away from being in the playoffs, you know, and they didn't want to have the negative publicity during the ongoing pandemic. And again, the NHL waited it out, did things in phases like how states are reopening up their economies. And for the second straight week, too, and the first week in the bubble, no positive test by the NHL for two straight weeks now. And they're also, again, playing games. Some upsets yesterday, uh, maybe some upsets today, or teams getting back on their feet with winning games. Isaiah, how do you think, though, as, again, we talk so much about basketball, uh, football, and baseball, but what about the NHL? How do you think that they handled this situation and that Gary Bettman looks like a genius when this is all said and done at the end of the day? First of all, I got to say to all the people, like all of our fans out there that watch hockey, um, I was a huge hockey fan back in the day, but unfortunately, I stopped watching hockey. You can thank the San Jose Sharks for that, for breaking my heart each and every year. I mean, first blowing a 3-0 lead and then, you know, losing the Stanley Cup finals. And then, and, yeah, my uh, Jonathan, don't even remind me, man. That, that was so painful. 
But then, and then like, I don't even know what else they've blown. They've blown a bunch of leads. Like I could honestly uh, stack them up and you could form a legit Jenga tower. That's how like much leads that they have built or blown. <laughs> but um, I, I really do think the NHL has done a fabulous job. You know, two weeks without COVID uh, positives is amazing. And, you know, it just shows you that right now, like a lot of people were skeptical going in, but the bubble has worked for both the NHL and both the NBA. And I'm honestly hoping that, you know, baseball can get hopefully 30 games in before, you know, they, if they do cancel the season, they can get 30 games in before so that maybe we could squeeze in like a bubble situation where we have like, the team that finished the best after 30 make the playoffs and then we can just jump straight into the playoffs. I'm hoping for that in baseball, but yeah, kudos to you, Gary Bettman and, you know, Rob Manfred and Roger Goodell. Thank you for making Gary Bettman look like a genius, man. You guys are like, you guys are just terrible, man. Like, ah. <laughs> John, you know, the NHL for the longest time, under Bettman's regime, they've had a lot of things. They had a, you know, they had a fraudulent owner with the Islanders and John Spano, who, again, there's a very good 30 for 30 about that, folks, where, again, this guy literally, you know, frauded his way to owning this NHL club for a bit. And, of course, lockout after lockout, work stoppages after work stoppages. But now, John, you know, when it comes to a situation like this, though, Gary Bettman looks like the winner of this whole thing in regards to having, you know, 12 teams in, in two different bubble sites, for one thing, Toronto and in uh, and in Edmonton, and again playing out round robin tournaments for the top four seeds, uh, playing out uh, qualifying rounds for the three out of five for five through twelve. Uh, John, honestly, though, in your mind, though, despite you know maybe what's on Bettman's track record, though, you got to give uh, credit where credit is due, right? I mean, this uh, yeah. he looks like he's a genius. He Bettman really does look like he's a genius, and he might have won back his respect as well of the fans. He might have just done that with how he's handled this whole entire situation. I mean, he copycatted. He, he you know, this was a copycat. Uh, uh, he, point. he followed the NBA's lead and, you know, he implemented the same, you know, the same uh, protocol. And it's worked. You know, it's worked to the NHL's advantage. No positive tests in two weeks. That's amazing. That says a lot about Batman's, you know, um, cleverness. I mean, he's done a, a terrific job. And the other ones, they just look like fools. You know, they, they, they just did a poor job in, in handling this whole thing. But Batman, yes, he does now look like a genius. And so much has happened during his time as commissioner. But now he looks like a fan favorite. And and how can you not love Batman for the tremendous job that he's done by putting, you know, the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference inside a bubble and no one's tested positive, just like no one's tested positive inside the NBA bubble. And then you have the MLB and then you have the, the NFL. They still can't figure it out. It's, it was simple, guys. Just put the teams in a bubble. I don't care how many players you have. Find a big enough bubble and put everybody in there and make their lives happy and make everyone safe, keep everyone safe, and keep everyone healthy. 
It's as simple as that. But no, you do not have a clue on what they're doing. Even when you have to do it on the fly, you still cannot figure it out. Take some notes from the NBA and the NFL and give a big shout out to both Batman and Silver for the amazing job they have done in protecting their players and protecting the coaches and protecting the owners. It's, it's, it's a damn good job by both of these commissioners and they put those other two commissioners to shame. They put them to shame. They just, oh my God, I can't. Oh my God. Goodell and, and Manfred ought to be ashamed of themselves for this utter failure that we're seeing. It's just pathetic. I, I, I just cannot believe it. I, I cannot believe it. So I applaud Batman for what he has done. The NHL looks golden, and the NBA looks golden as well. Wonderful job. And now we have sports back because you have commissioners that went about it the right way. Thank you. I want to give a big thank you to Silver and Batman for everything they've done because it's just amazing. Hey, I, I do have one thing to, or two things to add about John's point, though. First of all, I think Batman has undergone undergone the transformation like Ron Artest did. Remember, Ron Artest was a hothead back in his day, and then he joined forces with Kobe, and now he's this fan favorite. So that's kind of like what I see from Batman. Um, and John, uh, oh, yeah, about... Yeah, to your point about Rob Manfred, I wouldn't really blame Rob Manfred, however, if the season gets canceled, simply because you did put the protocols in place. It's the players that haven't followed the protocols. So that's that's the thing I would uh, rebuttal you on. Fair though. enough. That's fair enough. That's, yeah, that's fair enough. Let's see. Do we need to invest um, Isaiah, sounds? are you no. coming live to us from your garage? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My bunker. My bunker. Nice. Uh, we're going to be investing in new sounds. Uh, we're going to be investing in a lot of other things. Oh, sorry. I was taking notes, like John said, because maybe that Commissioner Goodell and Commissioner Manfred should be doing this based on how the NBA or the NHL and the NBA and MLS have all come back in a bubble environment. But Thank at the same you. time, though, it is what it is right now. And again, though, I, I think, though, Isaiah's on a good point, though. The uh, onus is definitely on the players uh, to kind of police themselves more than the actual organization than anything else. Uh, with that, guys, uh, John, we'll go to you for final thoughts on tonight's program and also final thoughts in general before we wrap up and come back on a Wednesday. I want to thank everyone for taking the time out of your night to join us for this wonderful, wonderful show tonight. We did an amazing job, guys. I love you, Colin. I love you, Isaiah. You guys are amazing. Without you guys, none of this is possible. And without our viewership and our fans, none of this is possible. So a big shout out to everyone who tuned in tonight. You guys are awesome. Isaiah, how about you for final thoughts for tonight's program? I got three things to say. Number one, MLB players, I want y'all to listen to me right now. I know you guys might be bored in your hotels and feeling miserable, 
But listen to me. If you're feeling in the board in the hotel, go go read a book, go play some cards. If you know you're feeling lucky and stuff, go play poker in your hotel against your teammates. Go uh, run around the hotel like your little kids and go play some tag or you know jump into the pool or whatever. Don't go to the casino. Don't go to the strip club. Don't go to you know any. Go don't go golfing we want to have this baseball season in you know i i'm a huge baseball fan and i do not want to see this season canceled so please follow the protocols and stay safe and let's put this baseball season in together uh the second thing i gotta say is you know i am just really glad that my whole video about the late like the luke walton comments that i made last year didn't come up last year because i probably would have gotten my NBA credential stripped and banned from the Staples Center for life for making those absolutely atrocious comments. Um, I'm pretty sure Steven's going to put that video down into the comment section to expose me tonight. But hey, it's in the past. Like I apologize to LeBron James. But the last thing I got to say is, yeah, thanks to all the fans that uh, watched our show tonight. We really, really appreciate you. And Callan, Jonathan, Appreciate you as well for coming on with me and also appreciate you guys for switching the time from 6 p.m. like we always do to 8 p.m. So I could watch my Oakland A's put up eight runs on the board in one inning and, you know, not come into the show feeling depressed after the A's were down one zip. So thank you, everybody. And with that, folks, my final thoughts. Again, as always, we thank you folks for tuning in again. We will be back at our at our scheduled 6 p.m. start time on Wednesday with, again, Isaiah and uh, John. And I guess, uh, John, I believe you're bringing a guest on for us on Wednesday. Who we got? Yes, we got my good buddy from Texas, and he's a big-time Laker fan. He wanted to come on and join us. His name is Freddie Henderson. So he will be with us on Wednesday. You don't want to miss it. So with that, folks, for myself, Cal McClure, for Isaiah Leung, for Jonathan Matheson, our producer and engineer behind the scenes, shareable Stephen Wang, we thank you folks for tuning in for joining us. And again, we will see you folks back here on Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific time, right back here on the MI6 Sports Network. Take care, folks. Have a good rest of your evening. So long. Bye-bye. Peace. Good night, y'all. You've been listening to Wild Sports Talk on the MI6 Sports Network. You can watch the program live every Monday and Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Like the MI6 Sports Network on Facebook by visiting Facebook.com and keyword searching MI6 Sports Network in the search bar. And also subscribe to our podcast channels wherever you get your podcasts. Just search MI6 Sports Network and subscribe today.